This message is a recording from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space to practice the ways of Jesus together as the multi-ethnic family of God. Yeah, as Aaron's mentioned a few times, we're in a season of Lent. This is the fifth Sunday in the season of Lent. And so, I don't know, if you're anything like me, it's like this Sunday, the fifth one, because there's a couple left, where you're kind of like weary about all this wilderness talking and fasting and waiting, and you just like, more Lent, you know, more, more grief, more death, more suffering that's still, still going. We're not even to Jesus being crucified yet on Good Friday. That's not until, what, April 7th, and yeah, it's March. So, you know, like Lent's this long journey, and so I, I just feel that, and there, as I was feeling that, I was trying to figure out what to do with this passage tonight, because we're, we're going to keep pressing on. We're even pressing on already in the midst of celebrating and worshiping and praising for God for what God's up to in the world. And at the same time, we're like, okay, how do we make our way through this passage that is a bit heavy? The passage is John 11, and in the lectionary tech, it's text, it's John 11, 1 through 45. That's 45 verses if you missed that. That's that's a lot of verses. And so I'm trying to figure out how to take my weary, wandering self through 45 verses for all of us. And so I'm going to try to do a few um, interesting things as this passage has a bunch of intersecting uh, adventures. So as we try to sort all that out, which we're going to do here in a moment, let's again just pray for the Spirit to continue guiding our time and then we'll jump in. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, again, we just acknowledge that you are already here among us. We ask if you would meet us here, and you do. Your answer is always a resounding yes, and so we welcome you. We praise you. We invite you to teach us, to teach us about your love for us. Would you teach us how to love one another? Would you continue the work you're doing in our lives as individuals, but also as a community of people and in our community as well, Lord? Pray that you'd give me your words to speak this evening that make much of you, that are for you and from you, and anything else, I pray we forget. Uh, we give you this time. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so here's what I'm up to this particular Sunday, the fifth Sunday in the season of Lent. Uh, I grew up reading these books. They were called Choose Your Own Adventure books. And yeah, they probably date some of us, Okay. So there's some of us who are familiar with those books and some of us who aren't. So the more I thought about this idea, the more I'm like, oh, but it's just now found itself in the world of gaming. It's that, like, there's a whole other way in which we choose our adventures now, right? So I was trying to get into that space of, like, what would it mean to choose our own adventure as we engage John 11? So here's, here's what I've done. Okay. Kendall, hit that slide. Uh, all right, so we're going we're gonna to choose our adventure today, okay? Because here's the thing. If I was to do all six adventures that I have up there, we're not eating tonight. Like, hey, we're going to be here too long, all right? That's a 23-page that's a sermon, as I have here, uh, but we're going to choose some adventures along the way. So I don't know if you can see that from wherever you are, but just to read them out to you, we've got uh, adventure number one, the call you never want to receive. Adventure number two, friendship, common sense, and riddles. Adventure number three, rebranding Doubting Thomas. Adventure number four, Martha and her grief belief. 
Adventure number five, Mary in a grief that jumps, runs, and falls in a heap. And adventure number six, starring Jesus, the angry weeper. So here's what we're going to do. You get a pick. What adventure do we want to go on together today? Have you ever voted on what sermon you wanted <laughs> in a sermon? It was a big day. Okay, so, so look, look them over one more time. We've got six adventures. We're picking one. All right, we're, we're picking one. And we'll just see what happens. <laughs> I've never done this before either. So I don't know how this is going to go because it was weird to prepare. And I kind of had front-end euphoria about the creativity of the idea. And then the week came. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to vote. Like, we're just going to raise our hand and I'll try to count. Okay, so who, who wants to do adventure number one, the call you never want to receive? Okay, four, four. Okay, who wants to do adventure number two, friendship, common sense, and riddles? One, two, three, four, five. Voting twice? I mean, there's not really rules here, to be honest. So, okay, six. Um, three, rebranding Doubting Thomas. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, a tie. That's not going to help me. Uh, okay, number four, Martha and her grief belief. All right, one. We got one. Okay. Uh, number five, Mary and the grief that jumps, runs, and falls in a heap. All right, we got two, two, three. Okay, Mar Mary's greater than Martha in this. And then six, starring Jesus, the angry weeper. Oh, we got some Jesus fans. One, two, three. Four, five. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Well, I think we got to do adventure number six. Uh, yep. I know. Which is funny because I had some adventures that I wanted to go on and you didn't pick them. Um, okay. So, yeah, right. I mean, maybe I'll release the notes. Uh, oh my goodness. Okay. I got to find adventure number six starts on, on page 18 for me. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, I got some notes for sermons down the road. Okay. And, and I mean, if you didn't vote for adventure number six, I'm sorry. Okay, we, we can fix that later. All right, here we go. This, this, is, this is some good stuff because I got to situate myself in the passage. Again, John 11 is where we are. And just even for a brief overview so you have some idea now because we're literally jumping in at the end of the story. This is the passage where... Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick, okay? And then he goes to Lazarus, and, well, we'll find out what happens when he does that, okay? Following encounter with Martha first, and then Mary second, we're now zeroing in on the grief of Jesus, okay? So Jesus has come back to Bethany, where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus live. And he was far away. He comes back there now. And he has an encounter with Martha first, just by, by herself, then Mary just by herself. And now here we zero in on Jesus. Verse 33 reads like this. When Jesus saw her, that's Mary, weeping, and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. It's a good verse to start out, adventure number six. What? Why do you think this is? I think the language is so provocative at this point in time, right? Jesus saw her weeping and the people wailing and a deep anger welled up within him. 
What are they weeping over is probably question number one, right? Why are they weeping and why are they wailing? We, do you know that? I kind of gave you the hint, right? Lazarus was sick. Well, he died. Lazarus died. Four days later, Jesus shows up in town. And he's angry. What kind of anger do you think that would be? Jesus had just had a conversation with Martha, and then he had a conversation with Mary where she fell at his feet weeping. He hears all of the communal voices wailing and mourning with the family, and a deep anger wells up inside of him. I just want you to think about anger and grief tied up together here. The anger of Jesus in this moment, right, it's, it's real, it's valid. And I think an interesting point about anger is if Jesus has anger welled up inside of him, it's not sinful. Anger kind of gets a bad rap sometimes, doesn't it? And here's Jesus, the angry weeper. So personally, I don't think this is anger at anybody. And I think that's an important clarification up front. So I think we can situate that at somebody, maybe at Mary or at Martha, right? There's always this question in the tales that involve Mary and Martha, like, why didn't you have faith like this or faith like this? Why didn't you just do that as if Jesus was angry about the way in which they were grieving? That can't be. That's not like Jesus. It's not the Jesus that Tina was just telling us about as she was singing. Can't be angry at all the people wailing because that's what the Jewish community does. They come together and they mourn together. It's communal. You're not alone in your grief. So many commentators seem to think it's this, that Jesus is angry at death, which is interesting. The fact of the matter is that we do not know why Jesus was angry. And I find that to be compelling just by itself. So let's assume then that Jesus' anger is dignified, that it's at death, and here's what it causes Jesus to do. Verse 34, he says, where have you put him, Lazarus? They told him, Lord, come and see. And again, now pause for a moment. I want you to get into the story of Jesus showing up on the scene of a community grieving the death of their friend, Lazarus. And Jesus meets them in this moment of grief, and now he says, well, where did you put him? And they say, Lord, come and see. And so before we think of like Jesus is the only one who could be angry like this type of thing, we're immediately met with his humanity and his human seeking. There's part of us that would probably think Jesus would show up because he already thinks Lazarus is going to die, right? He tells the disciples that at the beginning of this passage. But he doesn't know where Lazarus is. He's just saying to them, I don't know where Lazarus is. And in fact, to act on God's will that I came here to do, Jesus is saying, for God's glory to be known here in this place, Jesus is saying, I'm going to need the help of those mourning. Jesus immediately involves the community in what's about to transpire. So right after they say, come and see, verse 35 happens. 
If you're even remotely familiar with the Bible or the ways of Jesus, you've probably heard this verse. Then Jesus wept. Just catch that image in your head for a moment. Jesus, the one who had the deep anger welled up inside of him, who then shows up on the scene of the death of his friend Lazarus, who, if you'd have chose adventure number one, you would have found out he loves him very much. It says it twice, that Jesus loved Lazarus, that Jesus loved Mary, that Jesus loved Martha. And they say, come and see. And then Jesus wept. What a verse, huh? Again, Tina was teaching us about how we envision God sometimes. How do you envision envision Jesus? Do you see him as the weeping savior, as the God who cries? Many of us are familiar with this verse that Jesus wept because it was often the answer to the trivia question, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? We're like, Jesus wept, I got it, move along. It's like, no, hold on, this might be like, the deepest verse in the Bible. Like imagine the side of this, and and I want you to do this. Would you just close your eyes and envision Jesus, whatever you think Jesus looks like. Imagine him in front of you, but probably think of him as a short brown man. And envision this Jesus who loved Lazarus, who loved Martha, who loved Mary, and a whole community of people are wailing alongside of them, and there is Jesus weeping, what? With them. Our God is a God who weeps. And again, like just thinking in human terms, as this Jesus that we have in our mind's eye right now shows up in this place There's certain stages of post-death grieving that stir us to the reality that death has. And what is it that Jesus went to go and see? But the tomb, the gravesite. It happens to us today in the ways in which maybe we see a coffin or an urn or we go to a funeral and it hits us. That death is final. And Jesus' weeping in this moment is full of all of the compassion and heartbreak that we would hope he would bring into this because our God is a God who weeps. The scholar Frederick Bruner notes, death hurts everybody, including Jesus. And he says, I think our verse here is asking us to be this human too. Jesus is not recorded as having cried like this again in the Gospels. So what a pivotal passage it is to help us understand who Jesus is and what Jesus is about and the way Jesus exists. As heavy as that is, I want you to know you do get to hear adventure number one because in this story now we jump to adventure number one. We'll come back to this in a moment. I remember this moment like it was yesterday. I remember the way my body felt. 
I remember the way my breath caught. I remember the way my head shook and my voice cracked. It was March 14th, 2014, nine years ago. The basketball season I had been coaching had just ended a week before. And I received a phone call from my assistant coach that one of the boys who was on our team that season had died in a rollover car accident. That by itself was earth-shattering information. What came next made it all the more heartbreaking. Grady's mom, Heather, also died in the car accident. His brother, who I had also coached, who was a couple years older, had been driving. His two sisters were in the back. The brother driving and the two sisters lived. I think about this story in John 11 and I can't help but go back to the call you never want to receive. The passage begins, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend whom you love is very sick. But when Jesus heard this, He said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. This whole story is situated on being introduced to these three people who live in Bethany, and one of them, Lazarus, is sick. So sick, in fact that his sisters are concerned enough to send a message. And in their message, they remind Jesus that Lazarus is his dearly loved friend, and perhaps they're concerned that Lazarus is dying. Perhaps they think Jesus can heal him. Perhaps they just want Jesus to know. But what we know most of all from these first seven verses of John 11 is that everything that will follow in this passage is all founded on Jesus' love for his friends. Everything that follows in the adventures that we don't get to read grows from this. Jesus loves Martha, Jesus loves Mary, and Jesus loves Lazarus very much. So we begin in a place that reminds us of how we began this Lenten wilderness journey. Before we were launched with Jesus into the wilderness of fasting and temptation, we witnessed how Jesus began that journey as well. Do you remember that? What did we witness? We witnessed Jesus being baptized. Before the Spirit of God went with Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, He was baptized, and what happened at his baptism, he went down into the water, and as he came out and he was praying, spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, what, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. That's how Jesus began his Lenten journey. That's how we all begin our journeys, is that we would be reminded of how God actually thinks of us, that you are his dearly loved children who bring him great joy. This is the same way we see Jesus interacting with Mary, Martha, 
in Lazarus. And as riveting and as foundational as this love is, in the context of this passage, I think it's worth noting that Jesus is not saying this about all sickness. He says specifically Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. And he says, no, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And I think it, maybe it's too simplistic, but our own apprehension and anger toward death could very much cause us to long for these words from Jesus when those we love and care about are ill. We want to hear the same thing, that longing that caused them to send the message at all. It's the same longing in all of us. We hope Jesus will say, so-and-so's sickness will not end in death. And we hope Jesus will say, this sickness happened for the glory of God. But in my case, nine years ago, Grady and his mom, Heather, were still dead. And I didn't know what to do with that. So here's how I wrote about this experience nine years ago. I wrote this when I was 29. And this was 11 days after I had received that call. And two days after the funeral. Two days after the funeral, I had a meeting with a small group of high school boys I consistently met with. I don't want to sugarcoat the fact that I still don't know what to do. I don't know how to move on or even if I want to simply move on or how to make sense of death. I don't know how to cope. Everything is gray for me too. The sky, my blood, my thoughts, my feelings, all gray. If a professional Christian like myself is lost in the grayness of suffering, then it doesn't seem fair to expect a community of teenagers to live in the bright blue world of healing at the snap of our fingers. We are all grasping still for something to carry us away from the pain. Even high school students want to get through, around, far away from the pulsating reminder that their friend lost his future in a moment without notice or preparation. And now they too are left in a state of loneliness in which they are forced against their will to contemplate their own lives and their own futures. In the mind of a teenager, the approach to pain lands on a runway of self-medication. So what do you do when someone you love dies? You get shit-faced. I know, I know, kids these days. Let's suspend our judgment for one breath. The reality is that having a massive party as a response to the death of your friend makes sense in a teenage mind. In fact, it makes sense in my own mind. Getting wasted at a time like this, the same night as the funeral, is a well-intentioned, though poorly thought-out attempt to capture the moments while you still have them to bury the unwanted grief for another day. Lest we think we rise above such childish behavior and disrespect, let's remind ourselves self-medication comes in many forms. What's our vice? Pretty incomplete reflection, but I think it overlaps with Mary and Martha and the disciples of Jesus and all of them longing for this amidst a tragedy. Disciples, people, need every assurance of Jesus' love that they can get, and we'll seek it out in any way we can. And as unfulfilling as it might be, regardless of if Jesus delays or goes, his love is ever-present. That's what I learned through all that. 
It's foundational to his story, to this story, to the story, to the adventures we're on today. Thus, the good news of the entire passage and the whole of who God has always been and will always be is this. God is with us in the suffering, suffers with us, in fact, and loves us deeply. And that's all we got. So Jesus weeps. And as he's weeping, the people who were nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Martha, ever practical, even in her grief. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? And just pause there. This story's about to get crazy, which you kind of already know. But when Jesus says that, how do you hear Jesus speaking? Jesus responded to Martha, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? And I think all of me wants to just correct any inclination any of us might have that Jesus was angry at Martha for not believing something. This is the Jesus who still has tears on his cheeks. And I just imagine him looking at Martha and saying to her, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Maybe he even grabbed her by the shoulders and held her close and he said, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? Because we know how Jesus feels about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loves them, and we've already heard it multiple times. So what did they do? They rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven, the same heaven that had looked down on him at his baptism and said, you are my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And he said this, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so they will believe you sent me. What's crazy is he hadn't really said anything yet. Then verse 43 reads like this. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Just hold on. Are you seeing what's happening here? Jesus finally shows up on the scene. He's got some sort of anger welled up inside of him. It says it twice. He's weeped in the middle of that, tears still on his cheek. Roll the stone aside. They're like, you're crazy, Jesus. He's like, just do it. They open it up, and he goes, Lazarus, come out. What? He'd been dead for four days. There's a Jewish tradition that said after being dead for three days, on the fourth day, the soul has now left the body. Like the point of them saying it had been four days was so you knew that Lazarus was dead, dead. 
than a resuscitation. Lazarus, come out. What are you expecting next? And the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. This is hilarious, you guys. Because this was filled with so much emotional intensity, right? Like, Jesus is weeping. They're all weeping. Everybody's wailing together. Just listen to that sound. They show up at the grave. They roll the stone aside. He's like, Lazarus, come out. And he's like, what? Like, how is he doing that? The Bible's hilarious, you guys. This doesn't have to be that serious. Oh, my, I mean... Like, let that into your imagination. See the scriptures like that. However wild and unbelievable it may seem. Do I know if that happened, how it happened, how to explain? No! But it is a crazy story that does something in me. Even as I just read to you what I wrote from nine years ago with the broken heart that I had. I'm like, but hold on, Lazarus, come out. And then it says this in verse 45 to wrap up this story. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. And I'm like, how could you not? But I think there's something interesting here. The word believed. The same word I'd like to free us from. I don't want it to be weaponized against us anymore. If you just believe, if you just believe, if you just believe, what is he talking about? They believe, not like in a, a single statement of faith belief, not like in they had to like sign something that like this is what leaders will commit to now that we believe, tithe 10% check, right? Like, no. Not as in like I got to get all of my doctrine ironed out right now but believed as in trusting in this person, Jesus, who just did the unthinkable right before their very eyes. But not just because Jesus rolled up in there and said, Lazarus, come out. How did Jesus show up? Anger welling up inside of him because death should not have the final say, but also with tears running down his cheeks as he weeps on behalf of all who've had their hearts broken. That's the Jesus they believed in. Not just some Jesus who showed up on the spot, swooped in, like, hey, you're healed, let's go. Come on, crew. He's out. This is a Jesus who goes and lives among, is with, and he did it with his friends. The one who says, rise again with me, is the God who weeps. And as we prepare to give Jesus the last word for whatever he'd want to say in all of our time here together this evening, I want to leave us with this. Many commentators imagine that on the way to Judea, which was where Bethany was, Jesus and his disciples may have been singing one of the what's known as the songs of ascent as they went. 
And one of those songs is Psalm 130, and that's the psalm for this Sunday in the lectionary, and they put it there on purpose because of the way in which they imagine that this is a song that they may have been singing on their way. They're assuming Lazarus is dead, and here they go on their way to go see Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and here's what they say, and here's what they sing. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption, they sang. Sir, band comes back up. Let's just be still in that for a moment. And would you just ask this Jesus that you've imagined in front of you multiple times this evening, would you just... Do it again as an act of prayer and say, Jesus, in light of everything that's transpired since I've been in this space, what do you want me to know, Jesus? And listen for his voice. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than the watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Amen. For more information about Kaleo, visit kaleophx.com or follow us on social media at kaleophx.com.